Welcome to the Coffee Buzz. I'm Brad. Thank you for joining me. Uh, really, really appreciate that. I uh, finally tried the Death Wish coffee. Uh, people have been trying to get me to drink this coffee for a long time now. And uh, so I finally did. I uh, tried it out and I'm sure you've seen or heard about this one, right? It's the one that it says it's got twice the amount of caffeine. It has like the skull and the crossbones. Real scary looking bag. But um, <laughs> it it didn't quite live up to all the hype. And maybe I didn't like it because everybody has been telling me how great it is. Do you ever have that happen where everyone's like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And you hear it so many times that when you try it, it, uh, it just doesn't live up to the expectation. I, I do think that they uh, certainly have twice the amount of caffeine because after that one cup, I was feeling it, you know? But I'll be honest, that's not like my, uh, my biggest draw to coffee. I mean, I do love the caffeine, but um, I, I don't need to be bouncing off the walls. You know, I don't mind a couple of cups. I want it to taste good. And this one uh, just really didn't quite do it, you know? And I, I find this with a lot of grind, pre-ground coffee. It just has kind of like this weird, like, aftertaste to it. And uh, it wasn't horrible by any means. But, yeah, I don't think I'll be doing it again, you know? It, uh, it, it you know what it reminded me of? <laughs> because of the twice the amount of caffeine thing. Uh, I don't know if you remember Jolt Cola, but... You know, it wasn't quite ever as good as like, you know, the other soft drinks, but because it had twice the caffeine, it was like they couldn't figure out how to make it taste good. So they just thought, well, we'll just do twice the amount of caffeine and then people will buy it. <laughs> so I think that uh, Death Wish Coffee is the jolt cola of the coffee world. That's just my opinion. I, uh, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I am a big proponent of manifesting. You know, I like to think of what you hold in your mind, you can hold in your hand. And I'm always talking about attracting, attracting abundance, you know, which really means wealth. Um, there was a time in my life where just based on my upbringing, you know, the programming that I had, it was limited uh, in the amount of abundance and the idea of what I could attain. And I'm unpacking all that and I'm installing new software right now into my subconscious mind. And so I decided to really look at what our money system is, at least here in the U.S. and how it works. Um, because I figured if I want to attract more of it, I need to understand it more. You know, it's, I can go around saying, I think million dollar thoughts all day long. But if I don't marry that, you know, with an action and educate myself, I only get halfway there. And I'll be honest, like I was slightly thrown off when I started reading up on the history of the U.S. dollar. And I'm not sure why this took me so long to research. I guess, you know, there's just so many other distractions in the world. You know, it's it's a lot more fun to talk about celebrities slapping each other than it is to do like a deep dive into monetary policy. But it is important to do the work. The first shock to me once I got down into this rabbit hole 
and got into the first principles of the dollar is that the United States of America does not issue its own currency. You know, the federal bank is the sole issuer of the U.S. dollar. And we've all heard of these people, you know, the Fed. Did you hear what the Fed did? Oh, yeah, the Fed. Mm -hmm. And especially lately, you know, with the inflation now at like a 30-year high, they're in the spotlight. And the second thing that shocked me was that they are not federal and they don't have a reserve. They came into existence, uh, which was secretly planned in 1910 on this place called Jekyll Island. Uh, it's a private club for like the ultra wealthy. You can think of it as like the Mar-a-Lago of the 1900s. Apparently there were seven men who conducted this meeting and what they did to throw everyone off was they put on like hunting gear to mislead people and reporters into believing that they were just out on a hunting expedition. Nothing to see, nothing to see here. They subsequently denied having these meetings until the 1930s when they just couldn't keep it under wraps anymore. And what they set into agenda, what they set into motion on, on Jekyll Island was was the enactment of the Federal Reserves Act in 1913. This name was chosen to make it appear as though the Federal Reserve Bank was part of the government. And as we've said, it's not. It, uh, it's just, it has nothing to do with any branch of the government. It's nothing more than a bank that basically empowered itself with the ability to give the U.S. government debt. So instead of issuing our currency directly from the U.S. government, we have to issue treasury bonds, which our government then trades to the Federal Reserve for money. And every year, the U.S. government has to pay hundreds of billions of dollars in interest for a debt that doesn't need to exist in the first place. The Fed is like this dark organization. It, it operates in secrecy. It's never been subject to an audit since it came out. It accounts to no one, but you know, it has this air of legitimacy. You know, it, it creates money out of thin air. Uh, the Fed has been allowed to manipulate the economy by means of adjusting interest rates as they see fit, either up or down. And they also control the money supply, you know, by pumping into it or removing trillions of dollars from the economy. And over centuries, this societies have been made aware, painfully so, of, you know, the excessive currency issuance that leads to inflation. And for this reason, guardrails were once upon a time in place to kind of curtail, you know, this, this money printing. I mean, really all we do is just enter in um, numbers into a SQL database. You know, if you can't pay your bills, just increase your balance. Can you imagine what that would be like for a family <laughs> just to be able to, you know what, log into Chase and just give us $10,000 and that way we can, uh, you know, we can buy the car we need. That's what the government does. That's what they do. That's what they've been doing. And this is why our money goes down in value over time, especially since, you know, 2008. But they once upon a time had the gold standard. 
You know, it meant that there was a physical, actual quantity of gold as a limit of how much paper was allowed to be in circulation, how much paper money they could print at any given moment. And this basic elementary rule removed like the temptation of issuing money just willy-nilly without restraint. And it was successful in keeping inflation and deflation in check. But over time, every country eventually transitioned to what is now known as fiat monetary system. It's a form of currency that is not backed by a commodity, not backed by silver, gold. It has no inherent value other than having been established as the legal tender. Fiat currency allows governments to meddle in the economy. So instead of letting business cycles just kind of run their normal course, governments can collude with central banks to alter the money supply. And, and even if their hopes are good, you know, even if their intent is good, they're trying to manage us out of a financial crisis, it never works out in the long run. The worst part is, is that when they debase the money like this, it hurts the most vulnerable people, the ones on a fixed income, the ones that don't have any uh, investments. And they're the ones that get hurt the worst during inflation and hyperinflation. And really, when you look at it, you know, it's, uh, it's, I can't say that it's entirely their fault, the people that make up these systems. Because, I mean, this was one of the downfalls of the Roman Empire. When they started their monetary system, it was backed entirely by silver. But by the end, less than a fraction of their money had a commodity backed by silver. And the temptation is just too great for governments to create money. And, and the longer a civilization is around, the weaker the currency becomes. You know, it's like central banks and the fiat money are all golems, you know, Smeagols of the world, just trying to hoard the ring. But in a world of Smeagols, I'm trying to be a Frodo. I have more to say about this in the coming episodes. Um, this is really dense material, so I hope I'm not putting you to sleep. Where do you put your hard-earned fiat to keep it safe? What is the store of value is it the S&P 500, gold? Is it crypto? Is it the Guatemalan bean trade? Let me know what you're doing. Maybe we can share some inf information to uh, hedge against this inflation. Let's get some ideas going on. Find me on Twitter and on Instagram, the Coffee Buzz PC, and at Facebook at the Coffee Buzz Podcast, and online at thecoffeebuzzpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week.